Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, 14-year NFL veteran and the co-host of our new In the Pocket podcast, it's Chase Daniel. Chase, how you doing? What's going on, man? How you doing? Great I'm first thrilled, week. I'm uh, pumped. So much to dig into for you guys that did not listen to the first show that we did with Chase. We're going to be doing this every single week on the Athletic Football Show, every Thursday during the season. It's quarterback time. We're going to have a quarterback-centric show, talk about some of the best quarterback performances of the week, some quarterback performances that may have you know, put some antenna up for Chase and for me, dig into some quarterback perspective on some defensive ideas and schemes like we're going to do today. But this show is going to be all QBs all the time because now we have one. We have an NFL <laughs> quarterback here on the roster, and it would be silly to not use you. I'm like an offensive coordinator just trying to put my guys in the right positions to succeed. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're, I think you're doing a pretty good job so far. Cause we, we were talking about on Monday, you know, what we wanted to talk about after watching all those wild week one games. And you gave me some homework and I actually felt like I was on, on a squad again, man. Like actually getting to, <laughs> to watch the coaches film and actually dig in. I do a, a bunch of other things during the week and NFL network on Friday. And I'm like, this is actually going to tremendously help me get ready for the NFL network stuff that I'm doing on Fridays. And then actually it just, I almost went about my prep for this show. Like I would on a Wednesday or Thursday that you're prepping for a game. So it actually, it actually helped me feel like, Hey, even though I'm not playing right now, I feel like I'm, I'm part of the team and ready to roll and, and working out this brain. And it's been a while because I didn't, I wasn't in any OTAs, right? I wasn't in any training camp. So I really hadn't even watched a bunch of film. At all, because I was just like, man, I'm so used to watching so much film all the time. But it was actually really good. Like, gave me a little bit of like, hey, like a, like a breather. Like, oh, man, this is who I am. This is what I like to do. And so I'm, I'm excited to get started today. If there's anything I can give people, it's homework and things to do and projects <laughs> to start on. Just I'm ask learning. Me. So you, I, I'm happy that you're happy about it because I'm sure there will be more of it. Yeah. We're going to start each one of these with just the quarterback performance that we have to talk about. The one that's just sitting there yeah. hiding in plain sight. And that is Josh Allen's game on Monday night. I tweeted yeah. a joke during the Jets-Bills game about how if I were Josh Allen, I would play this exact way. If I were as physically gifted as Josh Allen, I would just try to throw it as hard and as far as I could every single play. And then you brought me back to reality and said, well, he keeps making all the same stupid mistakes over and over again after saying that he was going to play within himself. So yeah. I want to talk about just your impressions of that performance from Josh Allen on Monday and kind of your biggest takeaway watching that be the note on which he started the season. Yeah, I mean this. This is actually the game I watched last because I wanted to save it because I, I I thought I knew what was going on when you're watching it live on Monday night, and then there's a lot of stuff going on with Aaron Rodgers and all that stuff, and then it sort of got lost in the shuffle, and somehow a miraculous comeback by the Jets were to win, and and the talk wasn't really um, about uh, Josh Allen, and and I, the more I thought about it, the more I sort of digged into it. I'm like, well, it should be about Josh Allen because we'd heard all off season long. And you alluded to it, how he was going to play within himself, how he was going to play within the offense, how he was going to trust Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady to put him in the right plays at the right time, and he wasn't going to try to do too much. It was the complete opposite of what I saw when I broke down the film. And, and it wasn't all bad. And, and, and honestly, what I think it comes down to is, first of all, let's just, let's just be really clear. Because if I'm going to be critical of a player – who I think is a really good player, I'm going to give the other side of it too. I think I think the New York Jets defense is a generational talent under Robert Sala and how well they're coached. Like, let me just throw that out there. And it's the first game of the year. 
you you think as a quarterback you're gonna know what a defense does or you're gonna know what um, blitzes they're gonna bring and they just bring completely opposite things I've been a part of game plans like that week one is week one through four we've talked about them in the first one week one through four as an offensive coordinator and a quarterback are a living hell <laughs> and I say that because you have no idea what you're game planning for because it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to be what that defense did last year. And 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 Robert Sala's defense is is let's be real, it's a 49ers defense you saw forever. It's a bunch of cover two, cover four, quarter quarter half, some man pressure, and and that's it. Like it's not super complicated, and that's why they're able to play so fast. So I do think that they are really good. Now I digress back to Josh Allen is my whole thing is I just think he is he looks frantic yes. out there. Even and beyond the turnovers, he just he seems so sped up so consistently throughout the entire game. It was really disheartening. He's he's playing he's playing sped up and and I don't know if that's because it's not like looking at the concepts they're running, it's not like they're running these crazy difficult type concepts. It's most mostly from what I saw it's mostly pure progression reads. It's mostly half field reads. And he's just getting off his first and second read. If it's not there pretty quickly and going to the third, and it's not there, he's just freaking out in the pocket. And it's not all like that, right? And I think what it comes down to, the more I thought about it, and we can get into some more details about his play. But the more I thought about it was, th- this, is a, this is a type of defense that can really, really frustrate you as a quarterback. And what does that mean? Well, if you're in the cover four, cover two defense, the flats aren't really there. Cover four maybe, but they're, I mean, the way Robert Sala's defense is, both linebacker and nickel are matching anything to the flat. So it's like four man almost, which makes it even more difficult. You're one-on-one with the mic on the, on the halfback. And so they don't give a lot of easy completions, definitely not down the field, but the checkdowns are actually pretty tight and, and, and it's tight windows. And that's what he was he was doing that the first couple drives of the game. But I think at the end of the day, this defense of Robert Saul, they just frustrated him. And he got overly frustrated. And he launched two balls, one where he could have ran for. And the other was just, I think, just a, a bad decision. But I think that's what it came down to is these type of defenses want to frustrate you. And Josh Allen got frustrated on Monday night. What would you say was the most concerning element to his play was it how fast he was getting off stuff was it how uncomfortable he seemed in the pocket the thing that would worry you the most moving forward from what you saw on Monday well I I just think that he plays or he mostly played with a reckless abandon for anything and everything including his own body like that that to me like you can fix the reads and you can fix the offense and you can just say, Hey, we're just going to simplify for you just so you can just play fast. But the, the biggest thing for me was there's three or four times he's diving in piles. He was, it was third. There was a third and there was a third and 12 and he's five yards short of the first down. And he's bizarre. trying to dive over at the end of the half, trying to dive over someone. And I, and I get it, dude. Like, I'm no one's ever trying to take your stinger away. And that's exactly what coaches are doing. If you're a B dude sting, like he is a B, like you're going to have that stinger and you're going to do it. And he made some plays. I mean, there was, there was bad, but there was some really good too. I mean, like really good throws out of the pocket. But I think for me, it was just the reckless abandon for himself. I mean, I, I do think that you can fix this, this, and it could be just because he didn't play a lot in the preseason and it always took, me at least when I was playing, time to to just in the pocket to just chill out, relax. Because the O line didn't play horrible, honestly. Like they didn't play that bad. But I think he's just got to slow down. But I think the reckless abandon would probably be my answer. If you're Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady and maybe even the backup quarterback in that room, I believe is Kyle Allen. Where does this conversation start after the game? If you're trying to kind of pull him back from the version that we saw on Monday and just get him to take a breath. How do you get him started toward that place? Well, I think it started on Tuesday, right? They got a short week. Um, they traveled there. It's not a quick, it's not an awful flight back, but they still got back in Buffalo at 2 or 3 a.m. So you're in Tuesday at 8 a.m. working out, watching film, and you're already on to the next opponent. But I, I would say like in film study, like, hey, dude, we've talked about this before. Like all you got to do is just trust 
the offense. Trust that I'm going to put you in, in in good plays to succeed. We're not always going to be playing this amazing New York Jets defense. There's going to be success that comes. It was a weird game. Aaron Rodgers goes. I mean, there's all that that plays into it. But if I'm if I am um, Ken Dorsey, I'm just saying, hey, dude, just just take a deep breath. And, and we heard it. We heard it from him today or on Wednesday, um, straight from the horse's mouth, Josh Allen. He's like, look, we're, it's one game. We're not going to let it turn into two. And I think that's the biggest thing for a head coach and an offensive corner. Like, dude, it's one game. Like, whatever. Like, he, he started slow in the past, but don't let it snowball into two or three games. Don't let it become something where you're doing it every game. He's making so many checks at the line of scrimmage. It seemed like every single play he was doing something before the play started, whether it was checking protection or checking the play itself. Do you feel like putting that much on him just from a mental standpoint is maybe counterproductive because it doesn't allow him to kind of just take a deep breath and slow down a little bit? That's something I noticed is that he's just doing so much before the snap now. Do you think that's a good thing when you have a quarterback that can kind of default back to this version of himself? Well, most most of the things that I saw, I mean, there were a few – Checks. Most of the things I saw at the line of scrimmage, which I actually liked uh, when I saw it, was him him controlling protections. Okay. Um. He was. They, they were. They were in some different fronts, like some overload fronts, three to a side on one side of the center, and they were in some jam fronts. And I think he was just mostly making protection calls. You got Mitch Morris out there, who's a who's a veteran. But uh, to me, I, I can't speak for Josh. I always actually liked controlling the line of scrimmage calls because it just. It made me maybe not overthink stuff because I had to get the protection right, and then I'm just out there playing ball. So I don't necessarily think that plays into it, and, and that's just that's how their offense rolls. And he probably wants that, um, you know, opportunity to be able to do that. But I do think that he just has to find a way to play one play at a time. And and, and, and what do I mean by that? It's like, dude, just and and honestly, I had a quarterback coach last year and, and past game coordinator named Shane Day. <laughs> Comes from the San Francisco 49ers tree. Kyle Shanahan, great friends. He's in Houston right now with Bobby Sloak as the pass game coordinator as well. And he probably said the the best thing I've ever heard a quarterback coach say, and it's going to sound really just simple. And you're like, what? He All he said was like, play the play. And like, don't think anything else. Don't think about the score. Don't think about the head coach. Don't think about your kids at home. And it seems easy. Right. But when you get caught up in a game, a national televised game, and when you want to make a play so bad for your team, it's very difficult to just play the play because you're thinking like, hey, we got this. We got this play coming on third down. And then, oh, dude, I remember this red zone play. Like, I just really want to get inside the 10. If we don't get inside the 10, then coaches are going to call it like all that stuff. Like, that's it. That's the life of NFL quarterback. Right. So, and that's what he brought to Herbert last year. And I thought Herbert did a good job. I mean, Herbert was banged up a little bit, but but it was really good. And I would just say, like, play the play, Josh. Like, don't don't be think don't think about other plays in the game, good or bad. Like, stay even kill. And and I think he does that. And he's a rah-rah guy, and I and I love that about him. But as far as just quarterbacking, like if I see cover four as a quarterback or cover two as a quarterback on the first second and long. That doesn't mean I'm going to be getting cover four or cover two on all second and long plays. So if you come off the sideline and you're talking, hey, you know, do this, do that on second and long, it's going to be all quarters, give me a post over top. Like none of that stuff, like none of that stuff matters. Just you got to have a really, really abundant trust in in your play caller for them to put you in the right plays. And, and guess what? They're not always going to guess right, right? They're not always going to have the perfect play against – cover three or weak rotation cover six, as I like to call it. Like the biggest thing is just if it is there and you have to check it down and we have to be in second and eight, okay, that's better than second and 15, which I saw them in a lot because he took a sack or he tried to run around with the ball or he missed an RPO read and he was took a sack. So all that stuff, if that makes sense, that that's, that's sort of what I would do if I was Ken Dorsey. Are there certain things schematically that you do think can calm him down are there certain things they can rely on certain things they can go to that kind of make things easier for him simplify them and kind of allow that heartbeat to slow a little bit in some of these moments it didn't look like a very uh busy offense and what i mean like it didn't look like there's all these crazy concepts it, it looked like 
more simple, simpler concepts. And so I, I think, I don't know if the concepts are going to make it easier. I would say like, like as a quarterback, I can speak for myself. Like I, I always thought like, Hey, if, 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 a, if a guy, if a play caller can't think of a play, give me an RPO, just give me a wide zone, outside zone, inside zone RPO where I have two slants replacing it, or I have two hitches outside and just let me, just let me do it. Like, let me control it. And, and they called it a few times and yeah. in one of the RPOs, it's, it's, it's quarters and it's covered or it's, it's, it's quarter, quarter, half and to the cover two sides to the field side where he's going to throw like a little hitch to the slot. And it, it's just no, no point in that read tells you to throw the hitch to the slot because the nickelback's playing two. He's, he's split the, the outside tackle and he split the nickel and he can easily get under that hitch route. Um, on the slot and he sure enough he just it, it was clear as day because you can tell by the nickel leverage what coverage it is and clear as day he just tried to pull it and do too much and oh man it's not open i don't want to throw a pick six so he just ate it and it was second and 13 like as a play caller when you call an rpo on first and first and 10 you're not thinking to lose yards like at least give me two on a run game and then hey if we hit something behind a nickel pressure that tells me that takes me to my key to throw it that that's different but uh, so I would say RPOs, but they called them and it just didn't, there were some that worked and some that didn't. You hope it's just the one game. And I remember this being a conversation after the 2020 season when he was phenomenal. I mean, that was his breakout year and he kind of announced himself as a superstar quarterback. Yeah. And even in training camp that year, there was some conversation about what he would be like when fans got back in the stands. And there was some discourse about him playing so well because there not being crowds kind of calmed him down a little bit. And really? because he's played so well over the last couple of years, we feel very far removed from that. But when I was watching him in that game, it's Monday night football. The crowd is in a frenzy with Aaron Rodgers being there. It's a national stage. It's week one. It almost felt like that stage got him to that place where he's just so frantic and so yeah. it, it pumped up for the game that we see this version of him again. And so it had been a while since I thought that, but that's kind of where my mind snapped back to after watching the way he played on Monday night. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's, that's a right assessment. Um, and I would even think Josh would, would agree with you on that assessment. Um, and, and I just think Josh is best. He's best when he's, when he's off schedule, right? Like, of course he's, he's the big under center play action, got a huge arm, can throw a ball 80 yards, all that stuff. But I just think like, and he, he showed it, he showed it in this game. He's best when things break down and he doesn't panic. And if he's too, uh, you know, one or two, he's to the left read and something breaks down, he, he escapes to his right mostly. And there was three or four times where he escapes to his right. And I mean, even the touchdown pass, the touchdown pass was a highlight play. Yeah, like to me, like that was that is vintage Josh Allen. That is who the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes are. Those are the type of guys that can do that stuff. And I was like watching. I'm like, that looked completely different from snap uh, 54, 57, and 58, where he went interception back to back turnovers. And I'm like, like, what, like you know. It, so it's it's a mix of good and bad. And you're going to get some bad with the, with the way he plays, but they're hoping that there's there's more good. And against teams that are not the New York Jets, I think that that ratio will likely tip back into oh, the Bills' favor more often time. than not. Yeah. Week one is always fascinating from a quarterback perspective because we get answers on some of these unknown guys that we've been speculating about for months. You open the mystery box in week one with some of these players that we've never really seen and whether they're new quarterbacks or then they're, they're in new circumstances. And Jordan Love and this Packers offense was one of those mysteries heading into week one. And oh boy, did they did not disappoint. I saw that you were tweeting about watching that game back. Yeah. What stood out to you most about Jordan Love's performance against the Bears on Sunday? Well, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Jordan Love because when I talked to you about on Monday, it was before I watched the game. And I, I want to give the game ball to LaFleur. <laughs> I had the same reaction. <laughs> because, like, all right. I'm just gonna. Cause I'm not a big stat guy, but I felt I, I I was going through it, and I was really excited to watch Jordan Love, and his numbers were great, and and Aaron Jones. I mean, carried that team. I thought had an amazing game. Um, a couple st a couple stats. All right, 
because uh, we like to do stats on this show too. So he had completions of 51 yards, okay, on a screen. So he just threw the ball backwards and uh, Aaron Jones took it 51 yards, okay. A throwback screen all the way across the field. So a there were two screen leak all... throwback plays in this game that it gave him 100 yards passing. Yes, but but I would say uh, gold trophy to LaFleur on the play design. Because yeah. it was there was no one there, and then you have Aaron Jones, which I, I don't know what you thought, but I think Aaron Jones looks way faster this year than even past years. It was weird to me how like did he just get fast overnight? Anyway. I don't know, man. I always think that Aaron Jones is an incredible player. Like we just forget about how dynamic Aaron Jones 100%. is. And I just their felt running like running game last year was speed. phenomenal. Yeah, I mean it was. It, it, well, it's off to an even better start this year, and we'll get to that. Okay, so fifty-one yards on the throwback screen. 37 yards on another broken play to the tight end on a hide route where he botched the snap. Okay, so that is, if counting at home, 88 yards on amazing, we call it a little Y hide. And honestly, I know for a fact LaFleur didn't say drop the ball, but it actually helped the play. And <laughs> tight end, score a touchdown. I know this is this is killing you because it's your Chicago Bears, but like score a touchdown, he's wide open. Okay, and then he had a completion of 35 yards on the fourth and two, fourth and three on the halfback choice right out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Now I did think th- there was nothing cool design about that play. I thought it was a really good fourth and three play. No one thinks you're going to house a fourth and three on your call sheet play. Um, but, but I, I would say that, that to me was one of my favorite Jordan Love plays where he looked the whole player off. Okay. There's a whole player. It's man, press man. You got a little under route coming from the field. Okay. He sees it, gets back. Aaron Jones absolutely toasts the outside <laughs> linebacker for an. E- I mean, it's an easy throw, but I, it's an easy throw because it's a five-yard throw. But like, if that isn't pinpoint accurate, like, let's give credit. He probably doesn't score because he hits him in, in stride, going and, and scores a touchdown on fourth and three. No one in their right mind thinks they're going to score a touchdown on fourth and three. Okay, and then he had a 30-yarder on a third and 10 before the first half remaining where he was patient, really used his eyes to move the hook defender. I thought that was a really good play, probably his play of the day in my opinion because it's third down, you're trying to get in field goal range. It's the one where he almost, I wouldn't say no look because I I kept rewinding it, but he looks, he waits for the deep cross to come over the hook curl and he looks the defender off and then just, and the the hook defender just completely took the cheese. I thought that showed like a lot of growth because we didn't we didn't really see him. Okay, so but 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 then I did this on those four completions. He he threw for two hundred forty three yards. Sixty three percent of his yards came on four completions. So when you see the numbers, you're like, oh, he had a really good game, and and it it was. But like Lafleur deserves the cake on this one. I, I'm so glad that you said that because that was my exact reaction watching the game. I joked about it last night. On a few different levels, I think this was true. The the leak play that they should have scored the touchdown onto the tight end, the throwback screen, those two plays obviously being the chunks, but then all the other crazy shit that they were doing in the run game. If you go back and you watch yeah. that tape, the, the the 13 personnel runs that they're using, I yeah. mean, they're just throwing everything against the wall. One, because it's week one, and two, because I'm sure he's loving putting all of that on film. And I joke oh, that watching that game plan from him against that Bears defense, it was like one of those videos where you watch a killer whale punt a seal into the I air just because it's bored. That, that's essentially what it felt like. He was playing with his food for four quarters, Matt LaFleur yeah. was. Yeah. And when you have a play caller that is just so incredibly dialed in like that against a defense that just was completely outmanned, that's what stood out most about that performance, even if Jordan Love – did a very good job of keeping the train on the tracks and doing everything yeah. he needed to do as a quarterback. Well, well that's we I mentioned it or we mentioned it on the very first show was like, hey, what do we think about Jordan Love? What do we think he's going to be this year? And in my my answer to you, and I don't know if you loved it, but I'm like, we have no idea. Like you literally have no clue. There was a Philly game last year, but he played sparingly. He really hadn't played a lot. And I said, and I mentioned this. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. Is I said, wait till we see. I think the, the big difference is it's going to be LaFleur's offense. It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur's offense. It's going to be LaFleur's offense. And sure enough, he's from that West Coast Shanahan type thing where he just gets guys wide open. And sure enough, usually didn't happen <laughs> like this on week one. Sure enough, like guys were running scot-free. 
you were in the NFC North for LaFleur's first two seasons with the Packers. So you're watching a ton of similar opponents. I'm sure you had a decent amount of exposure to that offense. What is just kind of the overall impression of Matt LaFleur as a play caller and a designer compared to the other guys in that tree? McVay, Shanahan, now Mike McDaniel. Just the way that his reputation is from guys around the league. Well, I think he's an innovator. And I think you saw it the first couple of years. I mean, the dude, I don't know how many times, I don't, I'm not huge on history, but like, or I'm not big on this Green Bay team as far as history, but they 13 and three a couple of times. And just everything he did was, you know, got him to the NFC championship game, I think one year. Right. And, and it was, it was something that I was just always impressed with being in that. I'm like, cause no one knows how you're going to be as a play caller until you actually put it on film. And sure enough, what we saw, at least in Chicago, was like it's very, um, it's going to be very difficult because one, they use a lot of personnel. One, two, they use a lot of motions. Three, they use a lot of different formations, and that's that is that tree. That is literally that tree. So obviously, they have some wrinkles, and every coach, um, especially in that tree, is trying to be innovative and sort of make a name for themselves. But they all end up sort of falling under the same tree. It's funny because the the one little wrinkle that they were using. I mean, if you look at the Dolphins, you look at the Niners. The Niners are using a lot of 21 personnel. The Dolphins, when they're in heavier sets, are using a lot of 21 personnel. Yeah. The Packers doing all of the things that they were doing in 13 that was kind of 22, right? Because if you're looking at it, DeGuara is yeah. kind of a fullback. He's kind of a tight end. Yeah. And all of the wrinkles in the run game, I just think that the layers that you're going to have to be concerned about as an opposing defensive coordinator when you play against this team, there's going to be 20 of them this season. And when you have the talent they have up front, and you have the running game that they have. No. I just think no. that it's going to be a nightmare for whoever's playing against them for most of the season. Well, and the run game is a key, right? Like you can, you none of this stuff, this cool fancy stuff works unless you can run the ball and run it downhill. And there was about every type of counter stutter, uh, backside stutter I could possibly feel like, like, like you said, like 13's looking like 22 because it's a tight end. They really don't have a fullback on the roster, and if they do, it's like, oh, well, who is it? And then how are you playing it on defense, or am I in heavy uh, on defense if, when I see 22 versus 13? So defense corners have to be on the lookout for sure. What is the difference in that? How would you play 22 maybe differently than you would play 13? Are there little nuances defensively? Well, I, th well, I think so. I think 13, if, if there is a receiving threat or a couple receiving threats, uh, some teams played a nickel. Honestly, like like versus a fullback in true fullback, you're not unless it's juice from San Fran, you're not worried about catching it or Ingold had even a, a wheel route, actually. <laughs> like he left him wide open. He's on Cleo Mack. Cleo Mack didn't get out to the flat. He's like, oh, I ain't covering this guy. And he he went for twenty uh, in in Miami. So I do think there are different um factors involved with how how they play, but but I do think thirteen for obvious reason, reasons, is more of a passing threat. Uh, and so you might get some nickel or base versus 22. If it's shorter down distances, you might get um, a 4-4 or a 5-3 um, style defense. So it's all based on and, – and honestly, these defensive corners watch what they do out of it, and, and they literally have a chart that people chart for you at the team. And it's like, hey, 13 personnel versus if we're playing the Packers, if we're the Bears – Matt Eberflus says, hey, 13 personnel, they are, you know, 80% run, 20% pass. Okay, well, if you're 80% if you're run, 20% pass, then I'm going to try to stop the run. And we're just going to have to react to the pass. And it seemed like, you know, LaFleur sort of flipped that <laughs> on, its, on its back and uh, did the opposite uh, this game. I'm feeling so much for the quality control guys that have to chart that game moving forward. Just yeah. all the teams yeah. that have to chart yeah. up the Packers and try to describe everything that's going on. I'm curious when you're watching a young quarterback and Jordan Love, even if it's year four, is still a young quarterback. We haven't seen him play very often. Where's the first place that your eyes go? What are you watching from these guys to get a sense of how in control and in command they are? Um, my eyes go in general. I don't think there's and this was a good question when I saw this. I was like, well, you know, let me think, because uh, uh, the first thing I would say would be like feet. But. I go back to myself and and think, and I'm like, well, not not really, because a, a young quarterback, because he is he is a young quarterback, a young quarterback. I'm looking for comfort level in the pocket, and that is uh, that can be a lot of different things, honestly. Like, but I'm seeing when pockets get tight and they close in around you, how do you feel? Are you 
are you jerky are you or are you just like relaxed and be like hey like can you shorten your arm on your on your release right or do you need the full length of it of your body to throw or, or can you can you you know do something where you just get crazy like Matthew Stafford who we'll talk about a little later like I saw a couple of those that game and, and so and so like th- throughout the whole game from the start even like sometimes it even takes some vets a half of a first game to get the feel for a rush in the pocket because they're not rushing like that in practice. Because if they hit the quarterback, like Sean Payton was like, you hit the quarterback, you hit Breeze, you're cut. You're out, bro. Like, <laughs> so no one got close. And so it's way different game speed. And that's what, I mean, like, honestly, like if I'm a Packers fan, like that to me is the most telling of a guy that will just stand in there and take a hit. And I thought he looked extremely comfortable in the pocket. Well, part of the issue there is that the Bears might have the worst pass rush of the league, and the Packers' offensive line is so but, much better yeah. talent-wise than that group. I it's, would agree that the O-line is good. To your point, though, I would say like there, there are some times in the game where the pocket's sort of collapsing on them. And that doesn't mean – that I, I, I care more about hurries than sacks. Sacks are great, but if you're if you can hurry or hit – even like a little, it adds up on a quarterback, and you might just like feel. And I, and, and Chicago had enough hurries to to make me think, hey, how's he going to react in the pocket? Name of the show that we're on right now. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought he was he looked he looked comfortable. He he definitely had that Aaron Aaron Rodgers fling to it, this step, this almost like, and it's actually really good for him because he looked he looked good looking guys. I mean, it was guys were wide open. But it looked it it was a really good performance and something honestly that for confidence reasons he can build off of. It it felt like his eyes were going to the right place consistently. Like they were never all over the place. He felt really comfortable just with like how he was supposed to move from read to read through his progressions. And then the only the really only only concern that I would have watching that is he sprayed probably three or four throws. And yeah. that was one of the concerns coming out of Nevada is that even if he had yeah. a pretty live arm, his had some accuracy concerns creep up every once in a while. And I thought he was very good on Sunday, but like you said, I think Lafleur was the star. He felt comfortable, but he probably sprayed a handful of throws. If, if I had yeah. to just quickly sum up what we saw from him, but I think you have to be encouraged if you're a Packers fan about what that offense is 100%. going to look like over the course of the year, even if he's just the piece within the offense. Speaking of fan bases that probably should be encouraged right now, we are going to do a rookie quarterback spotlight here for the first three weeks. We have three rookie quarterback starters that were drafted in the first round. And we're going to start with the guy who probably had the most impressive outing of the three on Sunday. And that is Anthony Richardson and his day against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Initial impressions from you about Richardson's first start against the Jags. Um, Effortless arm. Um, Probably stood out the most. I have, that's the first thing I write in my notes is effortless. And that is saying a lot because he was amped up if you watch that game to start like throwing stick routes a thousand miles an hour at this dude's belly and i'm like dude like what is going on you got a richardson cross you know that little cross right there is what we call it uh on the football and it just goes and goes and goes and hits you right in the belly and you get a cross you see the cross you're like what in the world like justin herbert has done that to me you see the cross on a football we call it the herbert cross it's a richardson cross dude i'm telling you it's impressive it's it's it it it, it jumps out like crazy. And then I would probably say the offense. The offense of all the three rookie quarterbacks in week one I watched was probably fit to Anthony Richardson the best of any of them. And what about I, it? I was and, well, I was just I, I was honestly a little bit surprised by how much shotgun they were. And I I know I know, I know he was a lot of that in in Philly. But I was impressed with just because, hey, sometimes like you don't need to make a guy who's not like like let him be getting the gun. You can do enough in the run game. You can do enough in the RPO game. You can do enough in the pass game. So that surprised me a lot. And I think what else surprised me um, about him was actually how and it really about the offense was how much quarterback run game there was. Because a lot of these guys and when I say guys, a lot of these offensive coordinators, when you have a rookie guy that can run like that. You're only going to save it on third and goal from the two or fourth down and two, and you're going to bring out your best QB run play. This was not this was not the case. Like he was running from the start, 
And he got knocked. He got, let's call it what it is. He got knocked out at the end of the game. Gardner had to come in and they didn't end up scoring there because he took a, he took a, a hit. Like it was, that's an NFL hit. And, and so that, that's my thing is like, is, is Steichen going to continue to run him like, like that? Because if it is, he ain't making it a full year. I'm sorry. He just, he isn't. That was it. He was scrambling on that play, wasn't he? With that on the play where he yeah. got hurt. Yeah, but he, but he, but he lowered his shoulder. Yeah, but that's what I mean. He's I mean, still running. Yeah, that's even in moment in moments where you're gonna take off, just having him protect himself a little bit more and a little bit more often is going to be huge. It's funny yeah. because I thought that one of the the only criticisms I had watching that game, and I was very impressed with a lot of the ways that a lot of the stuff that he did. It almost felt like he should have pulled it more. On some yeah. of those read plays because 100%. of the, how how hard the defensive ends were crashing. And if you look at their run game numbers overall, it was a pretty disappointing day on the ground. Yeah. That's something you assume with more live action he'll get better at because that's really hard, I assume, to mimic in practice. You have no idea what a full speed defense is going to look like as you get a feel for some of those pulls. So, yeah. But it almost felt like he needed to run the ball more than, than he actually ended up doing in yeah. that game. I would say that he definitely missed two or three. I have it. I have it down here. He missed a couple RPOs, and 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 he even missed like like. I, I just like the guy. Like it's hard to it's hard to explain, but as a quarterback watching a quarterback, like everything I've heard, because I know I know Ballard pretty well, and he's told me some things, and 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 everything I've heard about this guy is like he's a really likable guy, and that's that's important. I don't care what anyone says. Like you've got to be liked because I know a lot of people as quarterbacks who aren't liked and their, their lifespan in the NFL is not long. Okay. He's a hard worker. He's the first one in, first one out. That's awesome. Need that. But he's got all the, he's got all the intangibles, but he got all the tangibles too. Like, I mean, I just go back to his arm. Like, I'm just like, it's, it's, it's impressive. Like, like one of the plays he, they did a, uh, like a, just a, a, a naked fake, like a naked fake rollout, bootleg, whatever you want to call it. And it was a little slide route from underneath. And it was like, I think it was fourth down or maybe third and two or fourth. and It two, was third. It places. was third and short. Yeah. It was third and okay. short. Yep. And they were in gun and it was, I mean, like wide open, like great play design, got the guy open and he threw it. Like I'm talking like, if you could see my office, he's uh, the guy is standing at my office door right there and he threw it about a hundred miles an hour and it was really high. Yeah. And it was actually an amazing catch. And I'm like, ah, like the first thing I see is like, ah, he's just amped up. But if you watch closely on the coach's copy, he, he, right when he releases it, the hands go to his head and he's like, no. And he, and even like after he, the play, when the guy caught it, ran out of bounds, he was thanking him for catching it. Cause he was he so was worried he wasn't going there. to. Yeah. Yes. Like to me, those things I see on film that tells me little things. I'm not saying he's going to be a, an insane superstar, but stuff like that, that only maybe you or people that actually, or me or people that actually like study, study the film, see the reaction like that to me says more than, than, you know, his, his yard, his yardage numbers was two twenty three a touchdown, a pick 40 rushing yards and a touch. Like that to me says more in this first NFL start. I was so encouraged just by how not out of place he looked. He yeah. played so fast. He was so decisive. That, that's what was so impressive to me. Even if there were some sprayed throws and even if there were some mistakes, you know, he threw a pick late in the game, how fast he was playing and how quickly he was making so many of these decisions was so encouraging. I mean, for a guy with 13 college starts that was considered so raw coming out, the fact that he looked like he belonged in that game from day one and made three or four throws, there was a throw he made in an inbreaker in the fourth quarter. I think it was to Kylan Granson over the middle of the field and oh, he threw it and yeah. I said I was like wolf like that the ball comes out of his hand so naturally and so yeah. explosively in a way that yeah. it, you just there are so few guys that throw it that easily that have that sort of live arm and when I talked to the coaches there about what was attractive about him in the process it wasn't even the physical skill set in terms of like height weight speed it was how natural and talented of a pure thrower he was and That's one game into his NFL career, you already see it. It, it yeah. already showed up. And you combine that with a guy that seemed comfortable enough where I would be so, so happy if I were a Colts fan today. Yeah. And and honestly, like, it, I'd be remiss not to say, too, like, yeah, we talk about Anthony Richardson, but that Jacksonville Jaguars defense, it is um, from a quarterback perspective, probably one of the tougher defenses to prepare for. Because um, 
he's such a the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville. He's such a junk ball type guy <laughs> and junk ball type coordinator. Which it what does that mean, Chase? Like, what are you talking all these crazy things? We never heard you say that. Well, it's twenty percent cover two, twenty percent man, twenty percent cover quarter quarter half, twenty percent pressure, twenty percent zone pressure, and it just is like. As a quarterback, you can look at it and you can you break it up into the days that you're studying it, and you can get overwhelmed. Like I remember, I mean, I I, I prepared for it um, when we played down there in the wild card game this past year, and you know we played them the first game. I think it was the third game of the year, and that was when Justin had broken ribs. And I remember preparing for it, and I'm like, oh, okay, like I sort of got a feel. Like we think they're gonna go, and they completely went. I mean, like when you, we had the percentages broken down. It was literally like 21, 20, 22. I mean, it was like very. He could tell he self scouts, but they're bringing like. The, the, the second thing I wrote down on my notes was like Jacksonville had a professional disguise plan. So it's not like he's just out there going and playing against a static cover two look where he knows what the coverage is or a static press cover one look. That was not the case no. at all, which makes it even more impressive what he did because they heated him. They, they heated him up. And I thought there was three or four plays in that game where Jacksonville pressured and he didn't have it ID'd or the center didn't have it ID'd enough or, or correctly. And there's a guy right in his face. He doesn't blink and he throws a little looky or he throws a hot. And it's just like, man, that to me, it, it in a stat, this 11 year, 11 yard completion doesn't look like much. But when coaches are watching that, they're like, man, he understands when he's hot. He can throw it in his face incident. Like all that stuff matters. It was a throw in, I think it was just over the 50th, maybe like at the Jacksonville 40, and it was a third down, and they brought, I think it was a simulated pressure, where both linebackers were mugged up, one came, and he was unblocked, and yep. he hit downs immediately on third down. That was the yeah, play the that right really side. stood out to me, yeah. and then there was another one where it was incomplete, but same kind of deal, where he was hot again and fired one of downs over the middle, and it was just, you know... Yeah half an inch one way or the other yeah. it's caught but again how quickly he was playing and how assertive he was in some of those choices that he was making it's Impressive. really exciting stuff for yeah. a guy with that sort of skill set let's go from a guy that we have just seen for the first time to a guy that we have seen a lot over the last decade or so i want to spend some time on this show kind of trying to bring some new insight and perspective to guys that we think we know. You know, it's always fascinating to me how the discourse and the conversation around long-term NFL starters can change. And this can be from season to season, and it can be from moment to moment, seemingly at times. And I think a guy that really embodies that very well right now is Matthew Stafford. And he wins the Super Bowl two years ago. We're talking about him changing his legacy and his reputation and the way that we think about him and talk about him. You have a bad year last year, and now it seems like he's got one foot out the door potentially, and the Rams are headed toward this implosion. And instead, he comes out in week one without Cooper Cup, throwing a 2-2 Atwell and Puka Nakua, and he throws for 340, he throws for 334 yards, and only Tua had a higher EPA per dropback in week one than Matthew Stafford throwing to those two guys. He was absolutely slinging it. So yeah. what what impressed you the most about Stafford's performance and that Rams offense on Sunday? Well, I mean, you said it. He's just absolutely slinging it, like like, but not with the reckless abandon. Like like, dude, the dude knows exactly what he's doing with the football and where he's going pre-snap of the football. Quick decisions. To me, I don't know if it was the Seattle D line that still stinks from last year. With, but I, I think the great. offensive, especially yeah, against think, an offensive line, line with a lot of new pieces. That's what I'm saying. I think the O line played. I think they played well. I, I don't know how well um, because I don't know. It's just too. It's too hard to say. They kept them. They kept them upright. And the biggest thing with Matthew, right, is like, can he stay healthy? Can he, if he gets hit, how fragile is he? But they didn't let him get hit, so he was. He was. He was on his P's and Q's, man. It was impressive. Like I would say there's probably in this game, there's probably three or four throws in this game that you're gonna look back. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just hyping it up because he's my guy. Um, but there's probably three or four throws in this game that you're gonna look back on the entire NFL season, you're gonna be like, that's probably a top 15 throw. And he had three or four of them. 
And and honestly, he had a few drops too. He could have thrown for four hundred. Like he had a couple drops for halftime too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like like just absolutely roasting them up. Like like not even close. And 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 honestly, it was a great game plan by Sean McVay. Like they they just couldn't run the ball. It, it just it's it, all those shifts, motions, pre snap motions, different counters, different run games. All that stuff, it just looked like it just couldn't get it going. But but I will say they tried to make it a theme early on because he threw the ball once in the first eight snaps. And the first drive was 17 plays. And I'm like, man, he's trying to set a tone here. Like, he's trying to – like, you got you got a guy back there. And it took Matthew – I mean, there were some throws. But then you look at the fourth quarter when he got really – he was really feeling it. And there's just like throw after throw after throw – no look uh, across your body, and that's probably something that is most impressive to be a, me about Matthew, especially when I was with him in 2020. Was his he's got a unique ability, okay, to act like he's throwing the ball and he doesn't see it open, pull it back, and then throw it very accurately, very quickly. I call it load, unload, load. And, and it, he did that a few times where he thought the guy was open and he thought that everything was going to happen um, on the first throw and the first load. And it wasn't there. And he was able to pull it back quickly and throw a dart. And to me, that is very difficult to do. You played with him for a year. You played with Justin Herbert for a couple of years. You've been around a lot of guys. How is his arm talent different than some other guys who also have big arms? Well, it's the unique ability to throw off different platforms. And and the closest thing to it, and I've always said this, is, um, and I wouldn't say he's quite on this, but if you ever, I mean, everyone remembers Michael Vick, the way he just snaps the wrist and can throw off different platforms on his move, on the move, and it just looks effortless. Like, like dude's going into year 15. He's my year. And he's still, the, the arm looks stronger than it has. Which is hard to do when you're a 37 year old <laughs> old man like me and him, and for him to be able to do that because he takes extreme care of his body, he's very um, detailed about you know what he eats, how he works out, stuff he does, and it, it, it he just he just looked he looked good and, and, and good for him though. Like like I, I cheer for that guy because there's a lot of stuff going on in the offseason. Is he is he going to go? Is he going to stay? You know Kelly. Stafford saying his, you know, he's not getting to his teammates and all this stuff, all this drama. But he just comes out there and just, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the, if other than two of the most impressive performance in week one, as far as quarterbacking goes. Does he work on that stuff just in terms of getting those throws off at, at difficult arm angles and different arm angles and try to fit things in there? How do you actually practice that? You don't. I mean, you don't. You, 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 you. There's nothing like a game being able to do it. He just has this this ability to just just to do it. And and I, and I would say like he we go through this warm up or we went through this warm up um, before like the first thing we got on the field in 2020 for practice and he would just do like three or four naked bootlegs and we would do like an over route an under route a post on the move and like a corner on the move and that's probably when he practices it because I would I would I would look out there and he'd be looking at the over and he'd be throwing the corner and I'd be like. Dude, I'm just trying to make it accurate, throw as, as best as I can to the corner route. And then he'd do like four or five to the right, four or five to the left, and that would get him moving and get him and get him all nice and lubed up, and he'd be good to go. And it was impressive. I mean, but it's not like you actually try to – I mean, there might be some throws in practice, but it's not like uh, not like what I saw on, on Sunday out of him for sure. So you feel like a lot of that is just you either have it or you don't. Like he's just got that arm that he's – I mean, he listen, this is a guy who was the number one recruit in the country. He he has been like this for 20 years. So yeah. it, that would make sense if he was just one of those guys who was born with this sort of Gumby-like ability in his elbow. But it kind of does feel like that when you watch him play. The only other guy – I've said this before – Vic is a really good comparison. Another guy who I feel like has that same sort of looseness in his arm, the arm angles and the slots he can get it off from and how it kind of comes out of his hand. Lamar throws like that. Like him mm -hmm. and Lamar stylistically have like more in common than I think a lot of people would think at first glance, but it's still very, very rare that just that yeah. type of ability and that type of flexibility. And I would add that, that Matthew's mechanics purely from a thrower, like he's a big Tom house guy. 
right? Like Brady was, like Breeze was. Like he works on it, man. Like he works on it. Like his mechanics as far as a thrower, um, from my perspective, are are pristine. Like they are pretty much perfect. What is the best throw that you saw him make in Detroit? Is there one that like sticks out to you? Not really. We we would. Th- I mean, not not right off the cuff, but I would say that the type of route that he just effortlessly threw, and they actually threw it in the game. We called it a cup route, and why did we call it a cup route? Because it was Starbucks cup, and we called the play you know, Starbucks, and it'd be a cup and a corner, and the cup was just like a pylon, just a, just like hey, go in eighteen yards to the number, and then go to the pylon. And when I'm saying like. Like, dude would be on the right hash, and he'd be asking for that Starbucks principle, the cup route, the pylon route, to the field. Like, and he would just effortlessly throw. He'd go, he'd two-itch, and he's he's the type of guy who, like, has really, like, feet in the pocket. Like, his feet don't stop yeah. moving, which is awesome. Um, but he would do that, and he'd do the three or four or five, and just launch, and it just go right in the receiver's hands, 60 yards down the field. And we didn't really – or I didn't really throw a lot of those routes – um, in my career until 2020 with Daryl Bevel, it's a huge play of his, who was the offensive coordinator there. Um, and I remember my first time throwing it on the field and I was just like, I have to like, instead of a seven step drop, I got to take a five quick hitch and like, let it go super early and float it super early. And I'm, I'm lucky if I get 50. And so just like, just stuff like that. Like, it's just, I think like what's cool about Matthew is Matthew impresses other NFL quarterbacks. Like that's how, you know, he's good when you not only like nerds like us and, and you like that study it, he impresses you. you. Well, I I take that as a compliment. I do. I I do. I I deeply do. Yeah. And, and when you impress other NFL quarterbacks with your throwing ability, that's when you know, you got something going right. Is he the best pure thrower that you've ever been around or seen? I mean, think justin herbert probably is that i was gonna ask i mean even though even though an awkward release um i I say awkward release it's just not normal for throwers to have the little like three quarter like like herbie does um but i mean matthew i I, and i i also like think breeze a little bit because when i went like my first time there in 09 to 12 like I, I i probably was most like taken aback by drew because i'd never seen an nfl quarterback and some of these like throws he not necessarily with arm strength but just overall quarterbacking ability some of these throws like i remember a couple three by one all go special just four verticals and the number three has the middle of the field and, and there'd be a tampa two mike linebacker run and he'd be covered and he would just throw it perfectly like it's the Colston special, Jeremy man. Shockey in Colston. But Jeremy Shockey was the first one I saw, and I'm like, he made that look effortless. And I tried it, I, like, probably the next practice got tipped, picked by one of the safeties. I'm like, oh, I should, probably shouldn't try that again. But, yeah, I, I would say he's up, he's up there. He's up there. Another thing we want to do on this show, along with all the quarterback talk, is we want to be able to shine a light on what it's like to play against and game plan for some of the top defensive coaches in the league. And I wanted to start with a guy who was throwing absolute heat on mm. Sunday against the Bengals. And that is new Browns defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz. You were with Jim in 2016 for a year when he was the Eagles defensive coordinator, but you I'm sure played against him a bunch. He was the Lions head coach when you played against Detroit in the playoffs in 2011. So when yeah. you guys were planning to play against the Jim Schwartz defense, what were the bullet points? What were the defining aspects of a Jim Schwartz team when you were preparing for them? Well, I'll tell you, but it, it completely changed from this year. And that's something that we can we can talk. I would say the defining points of a Jim Schwartz defense back then when I played for it was like the number one thing was, hey, all D linemen get to the quarterback. Like, I don't, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you get caught with your pants down on a screenplay or or a draw play that goes for 40, I don't care. They're not going to run screens and draws all the way down the field. That's what he always <laughs> tell me. Because I'd be the scout team guy, and I'd be trying to give it to him. I'm like, Jim, tell your tell your freaking D lineman to stay off of me because I'd be the scout team coordinator. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I'm trying to play too. Like, I'm one snap away, bro. And so we had a good banter going back and forth. But, like, that that to me is number one, right? Like, like just rush 
the quarterback, do not care about anything else other than getting to and affecting the quarterback. Sure, seen just Fletcher Clo- Fletcher Cox in your sleep at that point, I mean, dude. It's I mean it was like worst year in 2016. He just kept telling these guys like Vinnie Curry and Fletcher Cox, all these guys, Brandon Graham, like just go hit Chase. Like it doesn't matter. I'm like, what? I got a red jersey on, bro. Like what are we doing? But I would say also like uh, a thing that we saw a little bit, uh, and I don't know if weather played into it on Sunday against the Bengals, but he he was never a big pressure guy. Like, he was a big cover two, shell, quarters, just get home with four. Every once in a while, we'll come up and we'll give you some 5-0 fronts with our best pass rusher over the center, which they show with Miles um, a couple times, Darius Smith also. Um, but those those are, those are were it. And what I saw on Sunday was, like, completely different, honestly. So we saw the 5-0 looks they did several different times. They had Miles Garrett over the center. I think they did that at least two or three different times in that game. Yeah. So what were the pressure looks that were different than what you would expect from him typically? Well, he had the he had the 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 five up look right with Miles Garrett. Everyone saw the clip of him like going between his knees. I'm like, bro, as a center, like you know you're gonna get crossed over. He's doing a crossover in basketball, you're gonna get crossed over. Like, I would like, just be so terrified that I probably wouldn't be thinking rationally in that moment. Yeah, that's yeah, me too, honestly. Wait, if he's um, but I, stalking you like that before the play, truly just stalking towards you, yeah. I, I, it doesn't any rational thought just completely goes out the window in, in that <laughs> showing moment. the swagger. Yeah, hundred oh, percent. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I would say a, a few times there were. He's not ever. He's not a big double A mug team, but he would do that. And so, but a lot of these defensive coordinators, and, and he's making the switch, and I'm seeing it because it showed up on third down, second and long, third third and medium to third and long, and second and long on some defensive coordinators' call sheets are the exact same. So, what does that mean? Okay, so you you have a third down plan as an offense, and you have your protection plan. Most teams pressure third and four to ten if you're on defense. Okay. And then, so if you're preparing for that, you better have a second down and long plan with Jim Schwartz because he's bringing it on second and long. And what we saw was a little bit different from the double A Mike Zimmer, uh, Minnesota, uh, legend who pretty much invented it was they would do this overload front, right? They'd have, uh, a, a, a guard, a guard and a, and an end or sorry, a tackle, a tackle and an end on the defense side on one side of the center. And then they would put two linebackers in the opposite B gap. And they would put an end outside. So it, we called it an overload front because there's three D linemen to one side, one on the other. And then you would do buddy mug is what we call it. Two buddies, two linebackers coming together and mugging up in the opposite B gap. And he showed that multiple times. And it was impressive to me to see him just completely change how things were. And it just, it almost, it almost is like, I think weather played a huge factor in this game in terms of like how, um, burrow played did you see did you see burrow this is an interesting and 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 i probably need to dig into it a little bit more did you see burrow he didn't have a glove on to start the game yep and you could tell it it was bugging him okay and he you could tell he was he must not have big hands because he was just shot putting he he famously doesn't have big hands it was part of the pre-draft conversation yeah i mean he he shot put at least three or four throws early media and i don't even know any of this i don't even care about quarterback hand size but it (laughs) did it did play into the game because the rain game i'm like if if it rains on the Bengals, they might go zero and 17 dude i'm telling you like they they look poor on offense but he had he had no glove on he went back to a glove and then he took the glove back off and I'm like, what is happening? And I guarantee you, Jim Schwartz is like, oh, we got him. Like, yeah, that, he, as like, soon as him. that happens, the game we're is playing over. man coverage. We're rushing five. Good luck. Like, good luck. I mean, seriously, I think, I think, I literally think that's what happened. It was so cool to. I was so curious about what their plan was going to be. And I don't think they'll blitz forty percent of the time every single game. I yeah. think that's partially weather driven, and you're jumping on a team in week one. But when I was watching the Browns over the last couple of years, they just lack this essence that great defenses have. When you watch them play and you can just feel how hard they play and you can feel the tenacity that they play with. Yeah. And I always contrasted that to watching the Cowboys. When you watch the Cowboys over the last couple of years and what that defense felt like, the Browns missed that. And then I watched the Browns on Sunday and you had that element to it. And I was looking at some of the numbers, just some of the coverage stats and everything else. And their coverage splits with them in Dallas were almost identical. 
So they're playing like 35% cover one, and they're using about 15 to 18% cover two as a changeup with all of those 5-0 looks and stunts up front. So even though it's a different front structure than Dallas plays, the yeah. style that they were playing with at least one week in is almost exactly the ways that Dallas gets after teams. Yeah. And that's exactly how I wanted the Browns to play. It was incredibly it exciting. Yeah, I mean, it works. And, and, and listen, I think that, I mean, I don't know. First of all, they got the deepest D-line in all of football. And it's not even close. Like just pure one through eight. And and I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth because I was like, I don't know what to say with it. Like it was, an, it was a dominant performance against the highest played player in the history of the game. But I, I just, I'm interested to see how much of a rain played into it. Like, are you going to put up those numbers on a weekly basis? Probably not. Like, no way. Probably but, not, but just the but the it was willingness still an to play that aggressively. Absolutely, yeah. I, I the mindset is what stood out to me. I'm curious. Yeah. So you have a defensive coordinator that hasn't been a defensive coordinator in several years, and you have stuff that if you're Joe Burrow, if you're Brian Callahan, if you're Dan Pitcher, their quarterback coach, you're seeing a bunch of shit that you can't have had planned for, but just yeah. because there's no tape. So when you're on the sideline. And they're in those wild 5-0 looks where Miles Garrett's stalking your center, and you have no way to prepare for that. What is that conversation like on the sideline? Like, how do you start to formulate a plan for some of these unscouted looks in the first two weeks of the season? Well, and that's that's something, you know, I've, I said it, I, I hate playing the first four weeks of the season because you just don't know there's these unscouted looks. But what I think we had last year, and, and a lot of teams have this. What I think we had last year in LA and the year before was we just had our rules. Mm -hmm. and, and what does that mean? I said, we just had our protection rules because we faced a defense that did all of it. Hey, and buddy mug, we're going to mic the inside guy, let the back have the outside guy. Hey, and double a mug, we're going to slide it to the nickel. If he's a threat. Hey, in, in uh five Oh looks, we're just going to five Oh, which means five on five and have the back scan. Um, and, and I think you just really go off the sideline. You have to be able to trust your rules. It seems easy but I think I think the the Bengals I know the Bengals sort of got off their plan because their the first three or four times they brought that five zero look on second and long third down they or the five bigs they they just said hey we're gonna block it big on big and they got they got after him and and it was the point where Joe's taking three steps and one hitch and getting hit when he's getting in the ball that old line was just getting beat pretty badly they had the fastest time to pressure in the league and it wasn't even close it was less than 2 go. seconds per pressure yeah. on sunday and it was it was that you can't you can't play quarterback like that there's there's no what you can't even see what's going on but anyway the fourth or fifth time that they did it you could tell i think it was in the second half they decided to Hey, we're gonna if when they do this five zero stuff, we're gonna full slide it. We're gonna take five to block four, and we're gonna slide it to Miles Garrett's side. And we're gonna leave the the end, who's a smaller guy. The back will come across and trap him, and it actually worked a few times. Um, and I don't know if they actually got in it after, so they made some changes to that. Usually, you you want to have five on five and get your back out, but they're like, no, we need six on five. Um, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things. Like, hey, I've been a part of those games. Like last year. Oh man, the last year, uh, maybe it was two years ago when we went to the Ravens and got absolutely smoked in LA. I think it was two. It was two. It was two years ago. They blitzed yeah. the shit out of you guys, dude. They blitzed us like I mean, and we had plans, dude. And we just—it was one of those days at the office, man. Like it just nothing goes your way. And I think it was that way with with Cincy. But I, I do. I mean, I, I that, you know, and when you when we brought this up and you were like, who do you want to talk about? I'm like, dude, we got to talk about Jim Schwartz because I think he'll end up being the best hire of the defensive coordinators and it's already paying dividends. You already beat. I mean, listen, I get Cleveland's already has had, you know, Cincy's number for a while, but this was a dominating performance. It was so encouraging to see again, the aggressiveness they played with, how they were dictating the game. And yeah. I was wondering what the changeups were going to look like, because if you look at the numbers, the last time he was a defensive coordinator in Philly, it was a lot of single high and it was a lot of man and a lot of cover three. And yeah. it's just hard to play that way these days. If you're going to live that way, offenses are so good. And if and that's what the Cowboys kind of dealt with in yeah. Dan Quinn's first year, when they didn't really have the right amount of changeups, they were just gashed so often with explosive plays because they were playing so much man. And then when they started to lean into more of that cover two stuff just as a way to throw a curveball every five plays and you just never know when it's coming, that's yeah. when they really clicked into this dominant version of themselves. 
So I was wondering, okay, if you're going to be this Jim Schwartz-led team and you're going to want to play a lot of man coverage, how many changeups are you going to have in order to keep offenses on their heels as much as that Dallas team can right now? And that formula in week one makes me feel very good about what it can look like over the course of a season. 100%. 100%. You got to have change-ups to it because guess what? Offensive scout scout you and they're going to come up with answers and plans, but... Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's great info from you. Sorry, the sun's coming in. I look like crazy right now. Um, <laughs> You're good. <laughs> it's, it's setting. We can't do this show at five anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where you got to have a plan. And 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 I thought that was really good by you for the interesting stat about Dallas in terms of how it looks identical. And Dallas has been one of the most more dominant defenses the past couple of years. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what week two brings. Honestly, I'm looking forward to doing this every single week. We will be back next Thursday. Chase, sincerely appreciate the time, my friend. I'm excited about this. This is going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. Thanks, man. All right, guys. That's all we have for today. We will be back tomorrow, me and Nate, with our week two preview. Please check that out on the podcast feed. If you are not subscribed to the Athletic Football Show YouTube channel, now is your chance to do that. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast feed, I don't know why you're not, please subscribe. Please come check out all the stuff that we have coming out every single day, Monday through Saturday on the Athletic Football Show. We'll be back with Nate tomorrow. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.